Hello, and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fant. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fant. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. I want to say this morning, it sure is good to be a part of a kingdom that is unshakable. Anybody amen to that? You realize that the kingdom that I mentioned is not the kingdom of this world, but it is the kingdom of the living God. And I'm thankful today that as part of the kingdom, part of the reason that you're still living down here in a shakable kingdom is that when this kingdom is shaken and you're not shaken, people see the difference between people from this kingdom and people from his kingdom. Somebody say amen right there. You weren't listening that fast right away this morning, were you? I'm just warming you up, all right? Just warming you up. If you have your Bible this morning, if you would go ahead and make your way to Joshua, the Old Testament, Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7. And I want to say to you this morning, I'm so thankful that you're here and you got in. You know, it's a little bit tricky around the doors around here, isn't it? You just sort of never know that you have the way you're going to get in. And that's all right. I'm just thankful we have a way in. And I was walking from back on the back 40 back here around the end and I started sweating a little bit early this morning. I was praying over the spaces and you know how your flesh just starts saying, man, I wish I didn't have to. And you know what thought occurred to me? I'm just so thankful I didn't have to walk the Via Della Rosa. Now, what is that? That's terminology from the way to the cross. And I thought about, as I was walking, and how easy that we can get, you know, disgruntled and what have you, because we just like convenience. I thought about Jesus walking down that dusty, dirty road, up that hill to Mount Calvary, battered and beaten and spit upon and embarrassed and ridiculed and mocked, and how he walked up that thing and was so physically beaten that he couldn't carry the cross member of his own cross. And Simon the Cyrene had to step in and carry it the rest of the way. And as I was walking, I thought, boy, I'm telling you what, uh, I'm so glad I didn't have to walk that Via Della Rosa. I, and, I, and, I'm the same, and listen, at the same token, I'm so glad Jesus was willing. Anybody else glad that Jesus Christ was willing to walk all the way to the cross and bleed and die for you and me? Hallelujah. He's a wonderful Savior. This morning, Joshua chapter 7. <clears throat> if you're our guest, if you'll look on the chairs in front of you, about every other chair will have one of these in the little chair back. Uh, if you would scan that with your phone, uh, you know, it's one of those technological things where we don't have to get you to raise your hand and give you a visitor's card. Um, but we can just get a little information as to how we can serve you and minister to you. That's what the church is here for. So please take advantage of that so that we can get to know you a little better in the days ahead. This message today is one that, let me just say, there weren't a lot of amens. Aren't you glad you picked this Sunday? And last Sunday was full of amens. The Sunday before that was two on praise. God gave us two back-to-back on praise. And we got fired up in here, didn't we? If you were here, you know we got fired up. Man, people were shouting amen. Let me just say they weren't quite as fired up in here at 8.30. Now, in your chair, you're sitting there, and you're beginning to think, and you're processing what I'm saying, and you're anticipating what you're going to hear today and how you're going to respond to that today. And uh, I pray that before we leave here, the Holy Spirit of God has wrestled us in our chair and won. Did you hear that? I went to hear that preacher said he, he prayed God wrestled with me. I sure did. And I pray that he wins. And that when we, he wins, we are transformed by it. 
So Joshua 7, quick little background context. The people of God, the children of Israel, have gone through the exodus. They've come out of Egypt where they were in bondage. You'll remember how God delivered them miraculously as a pillar of fire by night that kept them warm and guided the way, but a pillar of cloud by day that shielded them from the sun's heat and guided them on their journey. They were there in the wilderness 40 years. They were there because of their disobedience, okay? There was a man who was leading them during that 40 years and before by the name of, anybody know? Moses. And Moses, God had, had, had given the task to lead his people out of bondage into the promised land, the land of Canaan, okay? Now, the purpose of God was to give his people a land that would be a covenant with them. Part of their covenant is that God was giving them the land, and it was not just any land, but it was land flowing with milk and honey. And so he's taking them there, and Moses, on the way, disobeys God in how he, God said, I want you to tell them, uh, strike the rock, and, and what he does, he adds some things to it, he calls them some names, and he disobeys God, and because of that, Moses is not allowed to walk into the promised land. Instead, when he dies, a young man who's been at Moses' side, who's been spending time with God, a young man by the name, does anybody know who's raised up as the next leader? John, how about that? That's the book that we happen to be in, Joshua. And God raised up Joshua. And where we are today, we're going wide lens to narrow lens. And God raised up Joshua. And Joshua led the children of Israel across the, what river? Jordan River. And they go over into the Canaan land, okay? And when they get there, they do two very important things. They, they practice circumcision and they have the Passover meal. Why is that important? Circumcision was an outward sign that they were in covenant relationship with God. Passover celebrated what God had done in their history in delivering them from bondage in Egypt. And so in, for 40 years, they didn't celebrate that. Here's the thing. Those two things identify them as the people of God. So what do they do? As soon as they cross in the land, they identify who they are and whose they are. They are the people of God, and they belong to God. So the first town that stands in their way is a town that's fortified with walls all around it. And does anybody remember the name of that town? Jericho. You remember their battle strategy? Remember they got some D5 bulldozers, and they pushed the front wall down? Y'all remember? That's not how you remember it. Okay, all right. So then they drilled down into the foundation. They put dynamite in there and blew it up, right? No. Okay, well, let's get biblical. They made one lap around the walls uh, once a day for six days. On the seventh day, they made seven laps. And at the end, they did something very peculiar. They shouted and blew the ram's horn, right? And when they did, the really crazy thing happened. The walls fall down, and they go in and take the city. And so, man, God is showing them great favor as they walk with him. Next up on the territories of places to conquer is a small town by the name of Ai. And as they approach Ai, uh, they go and look, and we're going to read through this today, and they decide not to send everybody because it's not a very big, it should be an easy victory. But we're going to find out that not every victory that we're supposed to have do we get to have. And we're also going to find out the seven, today's message is entitled Seven Truths for Victorious Living. And we're going to find out seven truths from this passage that will help us walk in victory in this life. Now, by the way, let me ask this question. How many of y'all want to live in victory? Seven of us, amen? Y'all on my team. All right, how many of y'all don't want to live in victory? You want to live in defeat all the days of your life? Some of y'all got to make a decision. One more time. How many of you want to walk in victory in this life? Raise your hand. Man, I want to walk in victory, the victory of the Lord. And so let's dive in and see how God can instruct us. We went wide lens to narrow. Now I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet, and we're going to read Joshua chapter 7, okay? 
Now, what most people will tell you is and when you're preaching, don't read a bunch of verses. Read just a few, but we're going to break that rule, okay? Because we don't care about rules, and that's not in the Bible. So we're just going to, we're going to read, ready for this? 25 verses together. Aren't you glad? And so I'm not going to give you a little sprinkle of Jesus today. We're going to get down in the Word and learn some stuff together. And my hope is be transformed by it, okay? So here we go, Joshua chapter 7, beginning in verse number 1. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding, regarding the accursed thing. Now, cursed means devoted. And what specifically he's talking about, in chapter 6, he gave them a warning. When you go in, matter of fact, it's verse 18 and 19. I'm going to reference it quickly so you know what's going on. He said, when you take Jericho... Don't take the accursed things. That's the devoted things. Devoted to God. They're devoted to God. Now, interestingly enough, every city after that, he said, you can take the gold and silver and keep it for yourselves. Now, what's the lesson there? This is outside the message. God chose, God commands what is first in our life for us to trust him with the first fruits, and he supplies need with every city after that. Okay, so remember that in your life. Okay, so he's told them, don't take the accursed things, but... Now we're picking back up in verse number one. They've, somebody has trespassed God's law regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things, so the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Now, Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, and when he was beside Beth-Avon on the east side of Bethel, he spoke to them, and here's what he said to them, go up and spy out the country. So the men went up, and they spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua, and this is what they said. Do not let all the people go up, but let just two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Don't worry, all the people, because the people of Ai are few. So about 3,000 men, I'm in verse 4, went up there from the people, but, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 of God's children, of God's men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Shebron and struck them down on the descent. As they're running for their lives, they're being killed. Therefore, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Why? Because they just whipped Jericho's tail in an unconventional way. Now they face this little place and they got annihilated. All right, sure, they're all afraid now. Verse 6, then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until uh, evening. He and the elders of Israel, they put dust on their heads. You see them, they're tearing their clothes and they're putting dust on their heads. And that sounds very peculiar to me and you because it's a cultural thing. In this day, they did that as an outward sign of their heart being in, in turmoil and despair. Are you with me? And so that's what they're doing. Verse 7, and Joshua said, here's what he says as he's laying down there, clothes torn, ashes on his head. Why have you brought this people? He's talking to God. Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it, and they'll surround us, and they'll cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? Because, you know, God's confused, and he needs Joshua to help him out, Okay. Verse 10, so the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed things that have both stolen and deceived, and they have also put it among their own stuff. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they have become doomed to destruction. Oh my, neither will I be with you anymore. Unless you destroy the accursed from among you. Get up, sanctify the people, and say, Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow, because thus says the Lord God of Israel. 
There is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until they are taken away the accursed thing from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribes. Now just picture it. He says, you're going to, everybody's going to come together. And you're going to bring them out in tribes. And it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall, become accor- shall then come according to their family. So, so you see the scene. If, if there's all of these are tribes, God said, I'm going to bring all of them before you. And I'm going to take one. Now when he says take one, he's talking about he's going to highlight that one. Okay. So all the tribes are going to be paraded up there one at a time. And he says, then I'm going to highlight, okay, it's in this tribe. And then within that tribe, there are a bunch of families. Like right here, if this was a tribe, there's a bunch of families represented here. Each one of your families, they're going to be paraded in front of everybody. And he's going to narrow it down to a big family and then down to uh, uh, one man's sons and, and then one particular man. Okay? Wouldn't that be fun? Especially if you were Aiken. I believe I'd have just said, hey, okay, it's me, it's me. Let's just save all this. I don't know. All right, let's read. So the, to the families, I'm reading back in verse number 14. Which the Lord takes shall come by households. And the households which the Lord takes shall then come man by man. Then it shall be, he who is taken from the accursed thing shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning. And he brought Israel, just like God said, by tribes. And the tribe of Judah was taken. Y'all tracking with me? Can you see it happening? All right. He brought the clan of Judah. And he took the family of the Zarhites, and he brought the family of the Zarhites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. Then he brought his household one man at a time. And Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, and the, of the tribe of Judah was taken. So we've done all of that to narrow it down to one guy. Now Joshua said to Achan, my son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession to him, and tell me now what you've done, and don't hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua when he said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I've done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them, and I took them, and there they are hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver underneath it. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath it. And they took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua, to all the children of Israel, and laid them out before the Lord. And Joshua and all of Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold. Stay with this list for just a minute. His sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them to the valley of Achor. And they're not about to have a party. And Joshua said, you're reading with me? Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned them with stones. And they burned them with fire, and they had sto- who they had stoned with stones. And they raised over them a great heap of stones, still there today as a memorial. Now let's take just a moment and pray together. Some of you are shocked in this moment. Just hang on. We're going to make sense of it all before we leave, okay? Would you bow your head with me for just a moment? Now as your head's bowed and eyes closed, let me say this to you. Anytime our flesh hears a message on sin, we start out offended. And so would you just pray against that? Not for your neighbor, not for your wife, your children. Pray for yourself. God, my flesh is going to try to talk me out of listening or connecting. And Lord, I don't want to do that. Help me be humble and hear from heaven. Now, Father, as we pray that, would you help me to preach this message? Lord, I need it as much as anybody needs it. Father, I pray that it would be just the right length of time that we would gain from what you want to say to us. Through the gift of preaching and the power of your Holy Spirit, help me now to proclaim this great truth so that the oldest and the youngest, most educated to the least, everybody understands what you said 
and how it makes application to us now. Now, Lord, tune our ears into your voice. Sit us at the table and feed us a nourishing meal that will lead us to victory. And we pray it in the mighty name of Jesus. And all the people of God said, amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Now, we're going to rewind back to the beginning. And as I said, I'm going to give you seven. It's going to be a list of seven. Now, a couple of these are going to have like one through three and one through four. See how glad you are? I know you're glad you got up early this morning and got here. And right now, some of you are thinking, man, of all the messages... Uh, and I had a person tell me not too long ago, he said, you know, I can't understand the growth that Hickory Ridge is experiencing because you don't just preach positive thinking. I said, no, what I've learned is you preach the Bible and God does the increasing. And so I pray that you today came as a person wanting to know what God said so that it'll transform your life today. Seven truths for victorious living from Joshua 7, 1 to 25. Number one, number one, have you ever heard it said, and before I read this one, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever heard this phrase? It's not the size of the dog in the fight. Y'all help me. Okay, so it's not the size of the dog in the fight, it's the size of the fight and the dog. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Raise your hand if you've heard somebody say that before. And it was oftentimes a motivational tool, right? Where maybe when I was playing for Byram, and we were 3A at the time, and we were playing Warren Center, who was 5A at the time, and one of the things they would tell us is, hey, it's not about the size of the dog in the fight, it's the fight the dog. We'd be fired up, ready to, you know, headbutt a block wall, and man, you'd just be so fired up. But here's the truth. That's, by the way, that's, uh, that's not accurate. Huh? I've seen people with a whole lot of fight in them get knocked out, right? I mean, be defeated by, by a bigger dog, okay? Not always, but it can happen. And so let me correct the phrase if I can and then explain it in the text. Here it is, number one, write it down. Here's the truth that will lead us to victory. Here it is. It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the Lord of their life. That's what battle victory hinges on. Not how much fight you've got in you. Not how hard you can try, not how big you are, how much you know. But one of the great truths of victorious living is who is the Lord of your life? Now let me make application or let me explain it from the text. Okay, It's going to be verses 1 through 5. 1 through 5. Now remember what happens here. God has told them back in chapter 6, don't take of the accursed things. Not at Jericho. The, the first fruit belonged to me. Put them in the treasury of God, okay? The gold, the silver, everything. Don't take it for yourselves. So everybody knows that. Everybody's been instructed. Everybody's been told. And so he says, don't do that. But uh, what God says, and I love it because in verse 1, we find out who it is before all the parade of tribes. You know why? Because God knew when it happened who it was. But he was going to bring it to light publicly. Oh, hang on to that. We're going to come back to it. So as this thing unfolds in verse number two, Joshua sent men, they go over and they look at AI and they scout it out and they come back and they say, you know what, man, they are smaller than we are. They are less than we are. We're a pretty big dog and we got some pretty good fight in us. You don't believe it? Look at Jericho. And so now we're going to go and we think it's not about the size of the dog in the fight, even though they were the big dog. And it's not about the fight in the dog because we got a lot of fight in us. We just blew trumpets and the walls come tumbling down. We shouted, the walls fell. And so we're about to go take this little place called Ai. And what we learn is because in Achan's life, he was Lord and God was not Lord, defeat was imminent. Let me say that to you. If you are not surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and you make all the decisions and you go about it your way, you are certainly guaranteed defeat to come at you in every shape, form, and fashion. It's why, most likely, you've tried really hard to do better in finances, and you tried to do better morally, and you tried to be a better person, and you tried to eat less and drink less, and you tried to do all these things, and every single time, you get your tail kicked. 
And you find yourself defeated. And a lot of times it's because it's all about who really is Lord of your life. Who's, ready for this, who's calling the shots? In Achan's life, in the moment at least, it was Achan and not God. So, truth one, right? Seven truths, victorious seven. Number one, it's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the Lord of your life, okay? So, number two, and by the way, uh, if Jesus is Lord of your life, I'm telling you, you're going to live a life of victory, they're going to be, listen, there are going to be times that you stumble, but every single time it'll be because somewhere I've taken my eyes off or somewhere I've become disobedient. But here's the good news. I can keep putting my hand in the nail-scarred hand of Jesus, and I learn more victory every single day of my life. Would you agree with that? As you look at your life, how many of you here would say that God has brought victory on victory in your life as you've walked with him? Things you never thought you could quit, you've quit. Things you never thought you would do, you've done. It's all about the who's the Lord of your life, okay? Number two, I'm trying to move on because we have seven, all right? So y'all, we got to listen faster. Number two, when facing defeat, write this down. When facing defeat, faith is challenged. That's a truth you need to know. When facing defeat, and we do, right? We face seasons of defeat. When we face defeat, our faith is, what is it? Challenged, right? It's a challenge against our faith. Now, this is going to have a list of three. Because what I'm going to talk about is what it looks like when we trust our sight and not our faith, our, our, our Savior, our Lord. Okay, three things. It's going to be in verses 6 through 9. Y'all tracking with me? Okay. Here we go, verse number 6. So Joshua tears his clothes. Why? Because 36 sons lost their lives. 36 of God's children got hacked down with the sword. They're running for their lives. They should have won. They should have been walking in victory. And they're defeated and they're being killed and they're running for their lives. And you realize that when we talk about the armor of God, if you'll notice that when, in Ephesians when he talks about the armor of God, everything's front facing. Why? Because we don't turn and run from our enemy. Right? We face them head on with great faith, not in us, but who is Lord of our life. So they turn and run. And then so Joshua hears about it and his heart is broken. He's confused. He's crushed. Listen, even Joshua's faith was challenged. Now, what's amazing to me is how easily Joshua flips the switch from a man of great faith to a man of very little faith. Now, you say, how do you, how do you know he had little faith? Well, hang on. I'm going to show it to you. Verse number 6, okay? And he goes before the, the, the ark of the Lord. He tears his clothes. He puts the uh, dust and ashes on his head. And verse number 7, and Joshua begins to talk to God. And listen, if you want to know what the attitude of your heart is, listen to your words. The word of God says that out of the mouth, excuse me, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So how do I, somebody said to me one time, how can you say that you know what's in Joshua's heart? Because I read his words. Now watch what he says. Alas, Lord, now remember, this is the same God who said, Joshua, be of good courage. I'm going to lead you over, and you're going to win, and you're going to win, and I'm going to be with you, and you're going to, I'm telling you, you stay with me, I'm going to stay with you. And, and, and God did it at Jericho, and then we have one setback. One setback. And what does he say to God? Alas, God, why'd you bring us over here? Just to destroy us? How in the world could a man move from a great, mighty moment of victory in Jericho to the very first small setback, looking up in God and second-guessing the goodness of God and saying, don't you even care? You, you took us out here just to kill us all. And so I want you to see that, listen, when, we, when our faith is challenged, number one, we tend to doubt the goodness of God. And here's the crazy part. It's based on our circumstances in the moment. Now, here's what's crazy about that. You and I are so limited that all we can do is live the moment. Here's what I've learned about me and you. You ready? 
We can't live one second ahead. Has anybody learned that? Do you wish you could sometimes? Okay, I sometimes wish I could go ahead a little bit. But we can, not even a second. But here's what I've also learned about me and you. We don't even really remember what happened a few minutes ago very well. And so we're sort of stuck, aren't we? Right here and right now. But let me say something to you about God. He is not stuck, nor will he ever be. I heard the phrase this week, he's the only one who can leave where he is and go where he was and never change locations. And some of y'all are going to get that right after lunch, after you've had a little something, uh, you know, snack and dessert. And so think about it. He's not constrained. And so Joshua, though, instead of living by faith, his faith is challenged. He's living by what his eyes see. And his eyes see that there are 36 mamas and 36 daddies who are weeping for their children, maybe some wives and maybe some children who are hurt because their dads, their husbands, their wives, their brothers are killed on the battlefield. And Joshua says, because there's difficulty, oh, God, you, why have you done your motivation must not be good. And some of you are facing things in your life, and you've, because... Because it's easier to live by sight than it is by faith. You also are wondering about the motivation of God. And let me say to you where the motivation of God was settled. Let us not settle in your daily circumstance. The motivation of God was settled in the cross of Jesus Christ. God is motivated to save and rescue and restore. How do I know he moved heaven and earth and sent his only begotten son to take the punishment I deserved. That he would die a criminal's death and resurrect from the dead so that I can have life. So his motivation should never be questioned by me and you, but I'm telling you it is. So number one, under this, when facing defeat, faith is challenged. Number one, we tend to doubt the goodness of God based on our circumstances. Number two, and so Joshua did that. Number two, we will even settle for safety over the will of God. Now let me, let me explain what I mean. We'll settle for safety over the will of God. Do you know that walking in the will of God sometimes is going to be dangerous Sometimes it's going to be uh, uh, it's going to be risky. Sometimes oh watch this. Sometimes it's going to be costly. I wish I might nod their head or something, so I know that y'all are in a picture frame right now. All right, it's going to be costly sometimes. Now let me share with you. All right, here's what he says. First of all, the first thing he says to God, "Would you bring us out of here for just to kill us all?" No, I already told you that I'm taking you over there so you can occupy the land of milk and honey, and you can be my covenant people, and I'm giving you a covenant land. That's what he told him. But now he's doubting the motivation of the promises of God, and that's what will happen when our face challenges. And then the second thing we, we see is in verse number 7 still, and he says, why have you brought? But then the next thing that he says to God, oh, that we would have been content, right? So, so when you're reading anything, that's pretty good. If he would have said, oh, that we would be content with you, but that's not what he said. He said, oh, that we would be safe and content and dwelt on the other side of it. This is Joshua. This is the leader of leaders. And his faith is challenged. And he's doubting the motivation of God. And now, and now, he's willing to settle to go back and and forfeit, listen to me, and forfeit God's best to go back and settle for something less. I'm afraid many of us in this room, from the youngest to the oldest, have settled for less than God's best because we've not really been living our lives by faith. We've adjusted and starting to live by sight. Oh, that God would increase our faith this morning. Amen. That he'd increase our faith. And so they, he says, we just ought to go back over there and forfeit all of this great land and just live over there and be content. Oh, God, help me never be content with anything other than his will for my life. Thirdly, in this faith being challenged, okay, when we face defeat. Thirdly, we lean toward the worst case scenario. Do you know that about me and you? The doctor says, well, it's cancer. Oh, man, we start planning our funeral. I mean, we start getting the affairs in order. Now, wait a second. We don't know what stage it is. We don't know what treatment plan is. We hadn't prayed yet about it. But what does our mind do? 
I, I would need to go pick a casket out, you know. I, don't we do that? Uh, I'll tell you something else. Uh, uh, whatever you do, don't take your symptoms to Dr. Google. You know, I had a person tell me one time, said, man, I, you know, life's, I said, how are you doing? I'm not doing good, you know, I, and this and that's going on. I don't think I got life. I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, I got this little itchy thing on my elbow, and I, I researched this itchy thing on my elbow, and I, I think it's this, and I probably don't have too long. And I'm going, what in the world are you talking about? You need to unplug from that and go see your dermatologist and get you some lotion for that, that, that ashy elbow, huh? Listen, we go worst-case scenario. Don't we? Well, we're having some arguments and we're struggling in our marriage. We're probably going to divorce. You know? So watch Joshua do it. Watch him do it. So, so far they had a little defeat. And when I say little, I'm not discounting 36 lives. But compared to the nation of millions, but here's what he does. Watch, watch this, all right? Verse number 8, O oh Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? Verse 9, here, look for the worst case scenario. For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land are going to hear about this, and they're going to surround us and cut us off from our, cut off our name. They won't even remember that we were here. Then what are you going to do? Because God needs Joshua to help him know he needs to be thinking ahead. Isn't it interesting that we have a tendency when our faith is challenged to go to the worst case scenario? Be mindful of that. When facing defeat, faith is challenged. All right, we're moving on to Roman numeral three, okay? So far, we've covered principle one. Truth number one, it's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the Lord of their life. Number two, when facing defeat, faith is, in fact, challenged. It is, and we talked about three specific things. Number three, third truth is found in verses 10 through 12. Here it is. Sin gives the enemy the upper hand. You need to know that truth. Why? Well, if I want to guarantee defeat then I just need to disobey God, right? Uh, I love the song that we sing, this is how I fight my battles, you know? But this is, this is if you imagine singing the song this way, this is how I lose my battles, is to disobey God. And so now read with me, if you will. We're gonna pick up in verse number 10, read down through verse number 12. So the Lord said to Joshua, I love it. He's down there, boy, he's belly aching. He's wallowing in it, isn't he? He's wallowing in it. Oh, God, would you bring us out here to kill us? And, and, and don't you even care about us, you know? And then he, and he just kind of goes on, and, 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 he's, and he begins talking about uh, he wishes he was back on the other side, outside of God's provision and protection and, and best. And then he says, and he says oh, they're going to just they won't, they're gonna kill us so much that they won't even remember we were on earth. He's, he's, you ever wallow in it? Honest to goodness, by a show of hands, how many besides me ever wallow in it? He, boy, they wallow like a pig in slop. And I love what God says to him. I love what he says to him. Uh, I, I can remember saying this to my kids when they get to wallowing in it. My kids, they don't remember when they were little. You know, kids have a tendency early on to throw what I call fit. Y'all know what I'm talking about? But they learn quick that we don't do that. At, at the Fant household, we didn't put up with fits. And they didn't do that. They started it a couple of times. It, we settled it. They, they rocked on, no problem. But what happened is Joshua was having a little fit. He's throwing a little fit. It didn't work out the way he thought it was. He didn't get what he wanted. And now he's throwing him a little fit. And what does God tell him? I love it. Verse 10. Uh, so the Lord said to Joshua two things, two words. Notice that it doesn't have a period. So it wasn't like y'all just said it. Get up. It was an exclamation point. So y'all help me. How, how did he say it? Get up. Get up. <laughs> up. Have you ever tell your kid that? Anybody ever said that to your kid? Get up from there. We're not doing that. Get up. We don't throw fits around here. Get up from there. And God said to Joshua, get up from there. What are you on your face for? Let's take action. Let's, let's go and, let's go and uh, meet the problem head on so that we can get back to victorious living. 
So here's what God says, verse 10. Get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has, altogether, Israel has. Now, the reason I wanted you to say that is we hardly ever say that word. We hardly ever say that word. It's, it's, I, I watch human nature, and not just it in, in Mississippi, but around the world. We just, <laughs> humans are so funny. Especially here in America and the South, we take bigger words and we master or we call ourselves crafty by combining them, right? Like, for instance, cannot. And we take cannot, and in the English language, because we're lazy, we take one letter out, right, and two letters out, but then we go back and write an apostrophe in. So we've, we've done all of that, and really we saved a letter or two. You know, I, I, love, I love us, man. We'll, we take, instead of you all in the South, we combine them and we say, y'all. And so we, we are masters at making things smaller, except for this one little word, three letters, S-I-N. And it is, you think about it, it's the only word that we expand. We say, I made a mistake. Now you sinned. You say, I had a poor decision. We put all them letters in there and dress it up. It's like putting lipstick on a pig. But what we did was sin. And hardly anybody ever says, you know, I sinned. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm living in sin. I have sin in my life. We don't hardly ever say that. We say, I made some bad decisions. I've had some poor judgment. I got with the wrong crowd. Boy, we, we'll take one little three-letter word and make a paragraph out of it. And what God said to Joshua was, get up, stop wallowing in it. Here's the problem. Israel sinned. And so what I want you to know is that sin gives the enemy the upper hand. That's what God is telling Joshua. They've sinned, and because they sinned, he says they couldn't stand up to their enemy. And if you and I continue to disobey God and we have sin in our lives, we also cannot stand up against our enemies, both the enemy of our flesh on the inside that's always trying to convince us to do whatever's fun and and pleasurable for the moment, and the enemy on the outside who's trying to convince us to listen to the voice on the inside and do it so that God would not be glorified. They work together. And so, watch what happens. He says, therefore, verse number 12, you reading with me? The children of Israel, I want you to see these three words. Maybe you'd underline them in your Bible. The children of Israel could not stand before their enemies. Let me say this to you. Without his provision, protection, you and I cannot stand against our enemies. The sooner we humble ourselves and come to that conclusion, the better off we are. Let me move a little further. Uh, he says, but they turned their backs before their enemies because they have become doomed. There's a word there, doomed for destruction. If, in fact, you are going against God's design and way, you are like I am, if we are like they were, doomed for destruction. If your marriage is not according to his way and plan and, and, and parameters, it's doomed for destruction. If you're parenting and you said, no, they'll always be my kids. That's right. They'll live a jacked up life outside the will of God, facing a life full of destruction. Doomed for destruction. Your finances, if it's not lining up with the word of God, they are doomed for destruction. All right, just moving a little further along. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed thing from among you. And so you can't just keep sinning and expect to get the upper hand on the enemy. Because sin gives the enemy the upper hand, then sin has to be extracted. Does that make sense? Somebody amen. All right, so he, he goes on to say uh, that that is a guarantee. Here's a great principle for victorious living. Sin gives the enemy the upper hand. Let me say this to you. God will not ignore it. He won't ignore it. A phrase that came to me a number of years ago in studying God and his dealing with sin from Genesis to Revelation throughout the Bible, this is a conclusion that came to me. 
Uh, trying to live in sin and walk in victory is like trying to swim upstream in a flowing river. I say it this way. I say it this way. We can't swim upstream against the river of God. We can't try hard enough and God change his ideas of what he says is right and, and, and the right way. What I mean by that is I had a friend in high school, well, junior high and high school. He was one of my best friends. He's stepped into heaven now. He stepped out early, or at least in my time scale. I know he was right on time. But there was a time in our life we'd go to Silas Brown, and we would jump into the Pearl River when it was really deep and flowing, and we would have a competition. Now, by the way, don't do that. Please don't think that that. The preacher said we ought to. That's a bad idea. And so we would do that, but we would try to see who could swim across in the straightest line against the current. But here's what we, what we knew. The best swimmers among us could never go in a straight line. Why? Because the current always won. God, listen, you can't swim upstream against the river of God and expect to live in victory. There are some in our midst who are living together outside of marriage. And you think that you can somehow circumvent God's river, his way, and I promise you, you can't. There's, y'all got really eerily quiet right there. There's some of us who are living in the marriage relationship as a man and we're not spiritually leading our home and maybe we're a tyrant, a dictator, and we think we can keep doing that and have a good, happy family, you can't swim against the river of God. It won't work out. I could give a million scenarios from my own life, and I'm certain that you could as well. But the, listen, I'm just bottom line. Sin gives the enemy, y'all help me, the upper hand. The upper hand. Number four, we got to move on. Number four. This is going to be verse 16 to 19. I want you to write it down. Okay, ready? Here's another truth for victorious living. Hidden sin will be revealed. Now it's about to get real awkward in here. The amen, you're going to notice it's going to be so quiet you can hear a pin drop. 540-something people in this room, and you'll be able to hear how deafeningly silent it gets because our flesh does not like to deal with sin. That's why it's about to get quiet, okay? But what I need to tell you on the onset is that this is not God wanting to crush you and destroy you. Oh, no. It's a loving Father who's giving a gracious warning that says, I want you to live in victory, and here's how you do it. Here's how you do it. So, as we walk through the text, I want you to look with me back in verse 16 really quickly, and here's what he goes on to say. Therefore, he is, in verse 12, he says, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, and what does he say for them to do? It's, it's, it's so interesting to me. He says, get up and sanctify the people. That means set apart. You can't live average. You, can't, you and I can't live uh, according to our ways and standards. He says, set, you've got to be set apart. That's what we're called to do. Uh, we come on down in verse 14 in the morning. He says, I want you to do this. And so what he does, remember, they bring all the tribes. I'm not going to read all those verses. But he starts out with all the tribes, narrows it down to a tribe, narrows it down to a clan, narrows it down to a family, narrows it down to a dad, narrows it down to one son. His name is Achan. Okay? So read with me in verse 16. So can you imagine? Wouldn't that be fun? Like if you knew you were the guy. And they said, all right, everybody, we're going to gather up the whole gathering here, all three neighborhoods, and we're going to bring, everybody's going to sit over here, and we're going to take first and bring this neighborhood out front, and we're going to say, okay, God, is it them? And he says, no, all right, y'all go be seated. And then we say, God, is it, is it them? And he says, no, and then they go and be seated. And we say, God, is it them? Now, you don't think I'm picking on you, just, just walk with me. Is it them? Yes, it's them. Oh, okay, well, y'all step up, y'all over here, and y'all get in the middle all right, God, and we start by rows. Is it them back there? No, nope, not them. Is it them, God? No, nope, not them. Is it them, God? Not them. Oh, yep, yep, it's them. And so Randy's row comes up. We get it narrowed down to a row, and we say, all right, God, we got it narrowed down. And this, everybody's watching. Everybody's getting to be a part of it. Millions of people are watching somebody's sin put out publicly. Why? Because the things that you and I cover, God will uncover. The things that we uncover to God, he'll cover with his grace and mercy. 
So, because of an unrepentant heart, and remember this, uncovering is not getting caught. Somebody needs to hear that. I don't know who you are, but you need to hear that. That arrow needs to make it smart right into your heart. Getting caught is not repentance. It's not, God, it's not godly sorrow. It's worldly sorrow. Because now you're caught and the consequences are coming. But God will take it if you don't deal with it with him, and he'll make it a very public matter. Have you ever seen that come to pass? Sure you have. It's a principle of who God is. And so now we've narrowed it down. And Achan, can you imagine being him? So don't you know as that whole process is going, he's like, oh my goodness. And they narrowed it down, oh my goodness. And then your dad, oh my goodness, wonder what my brother, hopefully my brothers have done something too. And then, and then it's you. And can you imagine being his wife? Or his sons and daughters? Watch how this thing unfolds. I'm telling you, listen. Hidden sin will be revealed. He brought the clan of Judah. I'm going through all that. Come on down. I'm going to pick up in verse number 19. Now Joshua said to Achan, my son... Listen to this plea. I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him. And tell me now what it is that you've done. Do not hide it from me. I'm begging you, come clean. Come clean. So let me give you another verse from the New Testament. Luke chapter 8, verse 17. Write it down. We're going to move on quickly. Here's what Jesus said. Look at the words that Jesus said right here. Can you see them on the overhead? Head nod, somebody. So I know you, all right, good. Read that with me. Just read it where you're seated. For nothing secret that will not be revealed, nor anything that's hidden now, they will not be known and come to the light. Oh, the Lord loves you so much. He brought you in here. He knows what's happened. He knows what's going on. He was there. He watched it all. He sees the conversations. He's watching the affair. He sees this sex outside marriage. He's watching all of that. He's there. He doesn't want to destroy you. He doesn't want you to face what's coming next. But so he's brought you in here today to graciously say to you, hey, if you don't uncover this before me and confess it, I'm going to expose it. And that's, listen, that ought to, that's why it just got awkward. Because some of you are thinking right now, do I really believe that? Friend, you'd better. I wouldn't test him on it. Now let me just move on, okay? So hidden sin will be revealed, number five, okay? We're walking right through this thing. Now watch this. Sin has a pattern. Did you know that? This is, a, this is one of the truths that will lead us to victory. If we understand sin has a pattern. This is number five, all right? Is it on the overhead yet? No yet? I think it's waiting on that. Number five, sin has a pattern, okay? What is it? In this particular case, we're going to see four things that are part of the pattern of sin. You see if you can identify with them, okay? What's the pattern? Number one, what does Achan say? Verse 21, when I saw, anybody there? Read with me, verse 21, when I saw among the spoils, a beautiful Babylonian garment. Step one, sin has a pattern. Step one, it begins with a lingering look. It begins with a lingering look. Right? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Uh, somebody offers you a drug, you just linger and think about, what will it feel like? Hmm, first time you ever try, what will it be like? Well, they look happy. Let's, let me just kind of contemplate. Lingering. When what we ought to do is like Joseph with Potiphar's wife, we ought to run, right? Run. When we know it's not what God, God said, don't take the accursed stuff. But he's like, yeah, but look at it. Good night. That's a beautiful Babylonian garment. And by the way, there's some silver there. Oh, my Lord, there's a brick of gold. And who will know anyway? And so it begins, step number one. Y'all read it. Step one was, begins with a lingering look. What happens next? It proceeds, read with me, when I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold, weighing 50 shekels, step two, or the second part of the pattern, desire. So write, proceeds with desire, that's coveting. 
Desiring what you're not supposed to have. So it begins with a lingering look. It proceeds with desire. How many of you know that desire is a powerful thing? You know why I can prove that to you? Here's a statement. What you want to do, you do. Why? Desire is a powerful thing. You'll get up 4 a.m., chase a turkey through the woods. Walk all over the place, man. If your boss asks you to hang up in a tree at 4.30 in the morning or 5 a.m., you'll say, you can't pay me enough. What you want to do, you do. A lingering look. Instead of running to holiness, instead of running to the God who rescued me, when I look at something a little bit too long and contemplate, whoa, that'd be nice. That garment would be nice in my house. That silver, I could spend that. That gold, boy, I could use that for something good. And so it led to desire. And desire is a painful thing. It's painful to want something and not be able to have it. And so we act. Now, what does it lead to? Logically, step three of the pattern proceeds with desire, but now progresses to action. So he said, I coveted. Then, I mean, first I saw, then I coveted. And next, in verse 21, I coveted them. And then what did he do? Come on, everybody together. And he took them. That's not on the overhead. You guys keep looking up there. All right. I know we're trying to catch up. All right. Here we go. So he, I coveted them and I took them. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. Long, long look. Boy, that'd be nice. Mm. Desire starts building up. You know, I really want that. I, I really want her. I really want him. I, I really want to do that thing. I really want to. And so desire builds. And if we're, listen, if we keep walking with it, what's sin do next? We'll do the thing. And that moment that you do the thing, boy, devastation occurs, doesn't it? Now, come on. Y'all don't act like you're not, you never had that. I've had it. You've had it. And we've experienced things that we shouldn't because we desired it, we wanted it, and we went ahead and did it. And, man, here's what happens next. You ready? Now, listen to this. Number four, you need to get this. The next thing is that it deceives. Here's its pattern. Okay, you write deceives while I talk. Step one, it begins with a lingering look. Step two, it proceeds with desire. Produces a want to. Step three, the want to all of a sudden leads to an action. Step four, it deceives you. You start living your life based on a lie. A lie. The lie begins the determining truth. You start believing the lie and you operate based on the lie. Uh, I had a man tell me one time uh, that he was, uh, uh, God had brought this lady into his life and he saw her. Watch the pattern. And when he saw her, she was beautiful to the eyes. And she was talking to him about the problem she was having with her husband. And so she, he said she was beautiful to look at. And I coveted, I wanted her. See the pattern? You know what he did next? He took her. And he said, you know, I know that God brought her into my life. I said, boy, you are strongly deceived. He said, no. No, I know God wants me to be happy. I said, what verse do you have for that? He said, I just know it. I just know it. God wants me to be happy. I said, well, let me turn the tables on you for a minute. What if today I came and visited your house? And when I came in your house, I just kicked the door open because I don't like using keys and locks. I just kicked that thing open. And when I kicked it open, I looked around and surveyed the scene, and I said, this is the perfect house for me. And I walked over to the stairs, and I said, man, if I was going to build a house, this is where I'd put the stairs. This is perfect. I walked up the stairs. Oh, they don't creak. It's so wonderful. And I went upstairs in your bedroom, and I laid in your bed and said, what's well, the perfect bed? It's just the right firmness for my back condition. And I laid in your bed, and I took me a little nap there. And when I got up, I came down, opened your refrigerator, and said, this is all my favorite food. And then I looked at you and said, now, God wants me to be happy. This is all mine. You pack your stuff. Matter of fact, don't pack your stuff. Just get out. He said, that's crazy. I said, that's what you're doing with that man's wife. 
So some of us in this room right now, we go to church, we, 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 we may read our Bible a little bit. You can't read it a whole lot and live in deceit. And we're in here today, and our life is a lie. We're living a lie, outright lie. And God knows it, and right now, maybe for the first time, you're thinking about it. Because nobody else in your life knows except God, and that's why he brought you here today. And not to, listen, not to destroy you, but to rescue you from it. And he says, listen, I want you to understand something here, man. You're talking about how sin works. It's a pattern, isn't it? When you agree it's happened to you, it's happened to me. And one of the hardest things to do is to talk to somebody in that deceit phase. I looked at that man and I said, that is the most ridiculous thing another human has ever said to me. That you believe God sent you somebody else's wife. That they're in covenant union before God together. And you think in your mind that God sent her to you. Deceived. And said it proudly. And had no remorse until we swapped the scenario. And so, friend, I don't know what's going on in your life, but you do, and God does. And He's brought you here today to help you deal with it. Somebody said, man, I'm not going back to Hickory Ridge. I thought we were going to hear a message about thinking positive. No, we're learning a lesson on how we can live in victory. And that's what God wants for you. It's why he sent his son to die for you and me. So that we wouldn't just get to heaven and live in victory, but that we would live in victory now. Now, watch how this thing continues. We're almost done. Sin, is, uh, sin has a pattern. We talked about that. Now, moving forward, two more things. Uh, truth number six. Truth number six. Sin always has collateral damage. Some of y'all are thinking, can we hurry up and get to the end of this thing? Hang on. We're almost there. Sin always has collateral damage. Anybody learned that yet? I know there's a portion of us in here that have not learned that yet. But I also know there's a portion of us in here that have learned that. And we're not deceived to think that our sin doesn't affect anybody but us. But that's what Achan thought. Hey, I'll take this. It's a beautiful garment. And it's silver. And I can use this. My family will be in a better condition and better situation. I can take this gold. And more we can finance the kids' education and maybe retire and go see some things, you know, enjoy God's creation. <laughs> Who will know and who's it really going to hurt? 36 men died on the battlefield. 36 sons died on the battlefield. There's always collateral damage. Now, what happens next? They round them up. They know who it is. And what happens in verses 24 uh, to 26, And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them into the Valley of Acre. And they're not going to the Valley of Acre to have a good party. Verse 25, And Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? You knew. God, t- God warned us. The Lord will trouble you now. And the Israel, so all of Israel stoned him with stones. And then they burned him with fire. After they had stoned them, notice that it's plural. Because everybody in that list that was associated with Achan, collateral damage. Never be fooled to think that your sin is only going to affect you. It always affects other people. And there's some in our midst today, some of us are living a way that which we think nobody knows about, and yet, and I'm going to speak, if I could, for just a minute to the men in the room, because you and God's design is to be the spiritual leader. And I'm not talking about the guy who pounds his fist and is a dictator and a tyrant. I'm talking about the one who's the servant leader in the home, who says, I'm going to walk with Jesus in such a way that you're going to see a model and you can follow it. And if not, everybody suffers because of it. At the same time, the same is true for a woman, the same is true for the children, young people in our lives. If there's sin there, it's affecting all who are in our circle of influence. 
Let me move on if I can to number seven. Y'all thought we'd never get there, didn't you? Say, preacher, can we have one positive thing before we leave? Yeah, absolutely. Joshua chapter eight, verses one and two. Write this down as the seventh truth. When sin is dealt with properly, victory is assured. When sin is dealt with how? Properly. Then victory is assured. It's guaranteed. Now, properly in the Old Testament, what did God tell them to do when he called them? What did he tell them to do to them? In this, we just read it. Throw rocks on them until they're dead. That was the Old Testament. Hey, let me just pause right here and say, thanks be to God I'm living on this side of the cross. They'd have stoned me years ago. Years ago, they just stole me in the street and left me for dead. I'm so thankful I live on this side of the cross where Jesus paid the penalty for all my sin and no longer does death the penalty for my sin because I have accepted what Jesus did for me. But that doesn't mean there's not consequences. And it doesn't mean, listen, that there's not a, still a proper way to do it. So properly there was stoning. Anybody else besides me glad we're not living in those days? We'd have to all go out. I don't know who would be left in the room to stone each other. We just had to throw a big rock up in there and let it fall down all of us, you know. But on this side of the cross, how's it dealt with properly? I'm glad you asked. Here we go. Step one. Repentance. One of the hardest attitudes for man to have is repentance. It's a changing of the mind. Now you think about it. How many people do you know that you would call or classify as hard-headed? Maybe I should ask it this way. Now don't look at your neighbor. <laughs> Don't know if I saw some elbows going out there. How many of you know at least one person who is hard-headed? Raise your hand. At least one person who's hard-headed. Okay. Now, wait a minute. I'm going to come out and ask some of y'all. Y'all were right. Let me ask that one again. How many of you know at least one person who's hard-headed? Raise your hand. All right. How many of you say that person is you sometimes? More hands went up. So we do all know somebody. Hard-headed, what does it mean? It means that when we get an idea in our head, what does it mean to be hard-headed? We won't change our mind right? This is how I see it. I'm 12 years old. This is how I see it. I don't care what mom and dad say. This is how I see it. They're old antique dinosaurs. They don't know what they're talking about. This is how I see it. And how many of you know it's hard to change a 12-year-old's mind? Glory to God. And how about a 15-year-old? 17? How about 20? Yeah. How about, have you ever heard this? Well, he's just old and set in his so it doesn't get easier. It doesn't get easier. We're born with a nature that says I'm right. With what I know at my particular spot in life, my perspective is right and everybody else's is wrong. And repentance is I'm wrong. My ideas and understandings, if they don't line up with his, are wrong and he's right. And repentance says I look at my tent and I acknowledge before God what I thought I've hid from everybody. I've not hidden from God. And there's sin in my tent. And I've done something to disobey God. And repentance says, I, my mindset when I came in, nobody knew about it. Nobody knows. Nobody's in the, any of the worse for it. And so my mindset is, I'm just going to leave it buried in my tent. Repentance is, I've sinned against God. And I've got to get my tent cleaned out. You see that? Repentance is a changing of the mind that leads to changing of action. I've got to get my tent cleaned out. So I'm praying. You know what I've been praying all morning? Got up at 4.30 this morning. I said, Lord, why did you wake me up so early for? And then I remembered, wait a minute. One of the greatest miracles that God will perform ever in the life of a human being is to grant them repentance. 
And so that began my prayer at 428 to be exact was that God would grant you repentance and you and you right here and you and the youngest here to the oldest here that God would grant you and me. He would grant us repentance, a heart of repentance because we can't do that on our own. Spirit of God and the Word of God, the only thing that can ever grant us repentance. We're prideful. We'll keep our tent. We'll keep that cover there and we'll, we'll just act like it's not there. And so that God would grant us repentance. Now, con- repentance that culminates in action. What's the action? Here's the word. You ready? Confession. Repentance. Changing of the mind that leads to a changing of action, which means I don't keep doing the sin, but the cleansing is going to come from, what did I say? Confession. Repentance, Acts chapter 3, verse 19, that if we will repent and be converted, our sins will be blotted out and times of refreshing. Some of you in here, you think you fooled everybody, but man, you look miserable. You don't even know it. Your husband knows, your wife knows, your kids know, your parents know, your best friend knows. You think everybody thinks you're happy. You've not fooled anybody. You look miserable. And so why not today receive a time of refreshing where God restores your joy by coming clean? Now, I said confession. Let me clarify. Some of you right now are thinking, man, I've got to go down to the altar and tell, tell Brother Terry. No, you don't. You don't have to tell me. i got my own stuff. Now, so what, 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 what about the priests? What about, I don't know about the priests. It's not in the Bible, so I don't know why, they do, why people do that. But what the Bible says is there's one mediator. Now, you know what a mediator is. It's, it's the in-between person who, who works with both parties. And so what the Bible says is there's one mediator, and it's not, it's not Brother Terry. It's not the priest. There's one mediator between man and God, and it is the man, Christ Jesus. So confession is not made to me. Now, listen, I know the book of uh, James says that confession to others can bring healing. Yes. If there's sin in your life that's leading to sickness, according to James 5, you can confess it to a brother or sister you, you trust, and there can be times of healing. That's what he talks about, not forgiveness. God only can, can grant forgiveness. So confession, 1 John 1, 9, right? You know, so we're about finished. 1 John 1, 9, this is critical. This could change your life. This could be finally what sets you free and you get to walk in the joy of the Lord and victory. Here it is, confession. John 1, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. What does it say? If we confess our sins. Who's he talking to? Believers. John included himself. If we, he didn't say if y'all or you all. He said if we, was John a follower of Jesus? Heavens, Yes. If we confess our sins, then what does God do? He responds with his character, which is faithful and justice to forgive our sin. Boy, that's good. And not only forgive us, but cleanse us. Now, I'm looking around at a bunch of tents. And I don't have the kind of vision that can say, I know you got some things hidden in the ground, got that garment pulled over it. And you fooled everybody. You fooled your best friend. You fooled your mom and daddy. You fooled your wife. You fooled your boss. You fooled. But there is one who has those kind of eyes. And when you dug the hole and when you committed the thing and when you put it in the ground and when you covered it up, he saw every bit of it. And he never stopped loving you. But if today you'll confess that to him, what he'll do is he'll forgive you for it. What? But you don't know what I've done. I know this. He didn't quantify. He didn't say if it's this and this and this. He just said if, we're fa- if we confess it, he'll forgive it. Now, confession is not, God, I'm sorry that. Confession is, God, I agree that what I did was sin. It was wrong. But then what he'll do, now imagine this. The last part of that verse is he'll cleanse us. Now, 
How many, now don't, don't, just don't tip your hand, okay? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all are doing it right now. A perfect look right there, that stone cold look. Don't tip your hand. How many of you know that life, you can't be a follower of Christ and be happy when there's sin in your, in your life? You can't. You can fake it, you can put a smile on, but you can't fake it. How many of you know that, that as, as around, in this room, it, there's some of us here today who there, when God's looking around, our tents are dirty. I said our, not your, our. And God is not up there saying, I'm about to crush you like a bug. No, he said, I'm going to bring you somewhere. I'm going to set you down. I'm going to air condition the place. And I'm going to speak to you in a way that you can understand because I love you and I don't want you to stay that, that dirty tent. And if you'll confess it to him today, listen, I want you to picture for just a minute the Holy Ghost of God coming into your tent. A little startling, isn't it? And him pulling that rug back because you've confessed it. And he reaches down and pulls that silver out, pulls that gold out, carries it out. Put some fresh dirt down there and packs it nice and level. Takes the garment out, restores your tent. Tent looks nice now. Tent's livable now. Tent has a good foundation now. Now, what will be the hinging determining factor? Here it is. You ready? You. You. You're the hinging determining factor. We know what God's desire is because he loves you. He wants fellowship to be sweet. He wants you to walk in victory. But what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about what's hidden under the ground in your tent? Let's bow together. Will you bow your head with me for just a moment? Now, this is just some time for you and the Lord. Just some time for you and the Lord. And I need to clarify some things to you because the enemy and the flesh will work on you. Listen, he loves you. He never changed his mind about you. It doesn't make you a, a, a non-believer. If you've got some sin in your life, if you've got some things covered in the ground and covered up, and but what it does is it keeps you from walking in the victory that Christ purchased with his own blood. So I wonder today if you'd get honest with God. Just you and him. Now, Brian's coming down front. Shane and Dawn are going to come down and help me there as well. Ladies, if you'd like to have somebody pray for you, Dawn will be there. and Brian and Shane and I will be there. But it may just be something you need to deal with just you and the Lord. And in this moment, we would pray that God would grant us repentance. Can we pray that together just for each other for a minute? Would y'all pray that out loud with me? God, grant us repentance. Grant us repentance. We're hard-headed. We're hard-hearted. Grant us repentance. Now, would you take a minute and just confess to him? Just confess it to him. Clear the air. Pull the rug back. He already knows. It's, you know, he already knew. He still loves you. Will you pull the rug back? Just talk to him, you and him. Aren't you glad this is a personal relationship? Just talk to him. If you're here today and you've never invited Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, there's only one way of victory. And that is to believe in your heart that Jesus Christ left the throne of heaven, died on the cross to pay for the sins of all mankind, that he rose victorious from the dead. And based on that belief, you take an action of surrender. Oh God, I confess with my mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord. Maybe you do that today like Sierra did this morning. In just a minute, we're going to stand to our feet and the altar's open. I, I pray unto God that there will be some that would come and pray, uh, single, together, uh, young people, old people alike. We'd come down to spend some time at the altar. If you need somebody to pray for you, you can share if you want, but you don't have to. You can just say, would you pray for me and we'll pray for you.
So, Father, would you take this time of response and thank you that we're not just doing church today. Thank you that you're dealing with us as a daddy deals with his sons and daughters. Thank you for loving us in spite of the things we've hidden in the ground in our tents. Thank you that you didn't destroy us and thank you that Jesus died for us. But help us right now to respond how you want us to. In Jesus' name, amen.